Amen. Well, have you ever hung around someone, that kind of person that just doesn't have that filter? <laughs> Meaning they claim to have no filter, usually, usually immediately followed by something they just said, right, where they kind of prove they have that personality type that might be bordering on J-E-R-K, right? But they have no filter, meaning whatever they think they say, and then let the chips fall wherever they may, right? Most of the time, that can end badly. Why? Because words, once we use them, they're gone. They left our mouth. They left our fingertips. They left our thumbs. If we're texting something or writing something, you can't take them back. On average, we speak over 15,000 words a day. Some of you speak way less than that. Some of you speak way more than that. Is it really true that we have no filter? What are those 15,000 words a day doing? What effect are they having? How are we supposed to be using our words as Christians? And Jesus is going to tell us all about that today. So John read for us in Matthew chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, we thank you for visiting with us. We are marching through the book of Matthew. That is what we do. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because God's word speaks. We do the work of understanding it and submitting ourselves to it in application. This week is a little bit more of the cookies on the bottom shelf, as opposed to like last week, we're dealing with blasphemy and demon possession, right? And the week before that, we were dealing with issues of the Sabbath and things. But, you know, as we make and mature disciples, that is our, 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 our vision. I was wondering if we should, I haven't talked to the elders about it, but, but maybe we should change our vision and mission to be, welcome to Highlands Bible Church, we don't skip the tough stuff. I don't know, Just, I'm working on it, you know. Jesus demonstrating the authority as the Son of God last week, casting out a demon, heals him from being blind and mute. And to drive that, that little point a bit more, if we did skip the tough stuff, what would we have missed last week? We, we would have missed Jesus as God, demonstrating again his power through miracles. We would have missed God's supremacy over evil. We would have missed the hardening and softening effects of the gospel and more, and all of those things are being cast aside by liberal and progressive theology these days. And that's why we're committed to sound biblical preaching here. Without it, we're at risk of being adrift. And you, if you wonder why most ma mainline denominations have drifted, it's because why? They've drifted away from the tough stuff. They've drifted away from standing on God's word. And so we want to preach the supremacy of God in the word of God. That's what we want to do here. Okay, end of soapbox. I'll get off that. God's kingdom is advancing and we, it won't be stopped. We see that, saw that last week. We'll continue to see that. It won't be stopped by demons. It won't be stopped by people's rejection of Jesus not indifference to Jesus. This week, Jesus builds on his exhortation and warning about blasphemous words. These are connected together, these passages. He's still talking to the Pharisees. Let's look at verse 33 again as we, as we set this up. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. 
I was tempted to include this passage last week, but we'd probably still be here a week later because there was so much last week. But that doesn't mean it's not connected to last week's passage. We see that Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees. The quote is ongoing. Jesus is saying, look, words matter, Pharisees. If you, if you continue to blaspheme me with your words, you are showing the evil that is in your heart. Now, major caveat. Only Jesus sees hearts, right? Only Jesus truly knows that they will reject him, that they are not his children. We don't. We can get a very good idea of where people are headed by the words they use, especially about Jesus. The solution, Jesus says, well, make the tree good. Okay, what? What do you mean make the tree good? How do we give an example of a, How do we do this? Jesus gives an example of a tree basically saying that good fruit comes from a good tree. Healthy fruit comes from a healthy tree. Bad fruit or diseased fruit or maybe no fruit comes from a bad or sick tree. And so obviously he's aiming for us. He's talking about us. We're the trees. He's not giving a class on trees 101 here. He's talking about us. How healthy is our tree? How healthy is our, our soul, our heart? How are the roots? How is the soil? How much sun is it getting? All of that stuff. How healthy? It's a metaphor. And here's the point quickly. He, we are known by our fruit. We are known by our fruit. The fruit is a metaphor for what our lives are saying about us to others. And church, all of our lives are saying something. Sometimes we don't realize that, but all of our lives are saying something to the people around us. What is your life saying? What are your words saying about your life? How are you cultivating your hearts so that the fruit of good or the good word grows from that heart? What fruit are you going? Are you growing? What do people see on the branches of your life? Do they see stress or strife or conflict? Do they see a focus on comfort, on material possessions? Do they see a life that revolves around kids or pets or jobs or status or leisure? When they look at your life, if it were a tree, what would they see growing on the branches of your life? You won't be surprised at where I'm going with this, right? A Christian's life is not supposed to be revolving around any of those things. Our lives should be, and should be showing the fruit of a heart that is anchored in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when, when people hear the gospel. We receive the Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. There is no subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking gibberish in tongues. That is false teaching. We reject that. But after we have received the Holy Spirit, when we become a Christian, whatever you want to call it, there's a thousand names for it, right? When we've been regenerated, when we've gone from darkness to light, when we've gone from, from guilty to innocent, when we've been converted, all of that, we get the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit gets to work, right? Holy Spirit gets to work in us, supposedly supposed to be growing healthy fruit, making us more holy, making us look like Jesus. This happens on the inside in our hearts, but the fruit should be visible on the outside, right? That's Jesus' point. 
This is something that happens on the inside, right? The Spirit comes to live in our hearts. We get a new heart with new appetites, and therefore what's growing on the outside of our branches should come from that. It should come from a transformed heart. And one of the primary ways that this is visible is our words. One commentator writes, a person's inner spiritual condition becomes clear in his or her speech. The Holy Spirit grows fruit, also known as fruits of the Spirit, and they are found in in Galatians chapter 5. Let's go there briefly to be convicted together. I just pass on the conviction that I get to you every week, and there was a lot of conviction in the law office this week for sure. Galatians chapter 5, talking about the, this is what should be hanging on our branches, church. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is what people should see hanging on our branches. And more to the context of our, of our passage, these are the fruits that should be seen and heard in our words. Are your words full of love, joy, peace, patience, ah, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or are your words full of hate or sarcasm or conflict or impatience or harshness or evil, dishonesty, gossip? Are they critical? Are they abrasive? Our words should reflect the fruits of the Spirit. Take a moment and think about your words, even this morning. Anyone else convicted by words that were used this morning? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm raising mine. No doubt some, if not all, are convicted, and we all really should be, right? So what do we do? We make a beeline for the cross, where God's mercy and forgiveness is poured out for sinners like us, right? Sometimes you ever have those days where maybe in our pride we could be like, I think I, I did okay today. And then you think about your words. And then you think about the thoughts. And you think about all of that. We make a, a, a beeline to the cross and then we put our sinful words to death as our identity. Don't miss that. We put sin to death as our identity, not just empty religious activity. Our words should reflect who we are because that's who we are in Christ. Jared Wilson writes in his book, Imperfect Disciple, the solution to the bad things we do isn't good things to do, but good things to be. Do we feel that? Do we understand that? It's not just we have to have action. We have to stop the, the, the words that Jesus is calling, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We have to stop the sinful words. We have to replace them, but it's not just checking the boxes. We do that. We speak in such a way. We, we look for the fruits of the Spirit in our speech because that's who we are. That's our identity. Jesus is calling us to be, to walk out our identity in Christ in our words. Why? Because we are known, see identity word, we are known by our fruit. That's what Jesus says. If you look at an apple tree, you can see it's an apple tree because right? you see apples hanging on the branches. You look at a Christian, you should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of that hanging on our branches, and you should hear that in the words that we use. So how does this fruit grow, and where does this fruit grow? Look at verse 34. Let's get more convicted together. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Yikes. Okay then, Jesus, just tell us how you really feel here. Going right at them, you, you brood of vipers. These snakes, poisonous snakes, are seen as deceitful creatures, sneaky creatures, dangerous creatures. Many of us have a big paranoia of snakes. I'm pretty much okay with snakes, whatever, as long as they don't surprise me, right? Bees, I have a different, I can feel that. But this is what Jesus calls the Pharisees. He calls them snakes, brood of vipers. Jesus tells them that it's impossible for them to speak good. Why? Because they're evil, right? Caveat, remember that. Only Jesus knows who's truly evil in the heart, and he knows that these people are truly evil in their heart. Why? What's one of his first clues? What they said about Jesus, right? See, last week, they blasphemed him. They said the works that he's doing, they attribute to Satan, Jesus then looks into their hearts as only Jesus can do, and he knows that they are evil. But again, we can see someone's orientation. We can see someone's direction. We can get clues of what's in someone's heart. How? By the words they use. That's how. Bad words, blasphemous words, show that the heart is hardening towards Jesus. But keep in mind, only Jesus can know the true condition of the heart. And he says they're evil. Therefore, they're not capable of speaking good. And our society, church, as we said last week, is increasingly blasphemous. They've rejected God more and more, and they will continue to. Jesus tells us where this comes from, our hearts. And he says, listen, the fruit or, or what we see coming out of a person, their words is dependent on their hearts. Words just don't come out of thin air. They are attached to our hearts. This is how things work. In order to speak good words, you have to have a good heart. And the only way to have a good heart is to have a new heart. Right? When we come to Jesus, we get a new heart. It's really, really important for us to realize that. But even after we're converted, even after we receive a new heart that is capable of bringing up good words, we all struggle in many ways with our words, do we not? Remaining sin is in our hearts. And the question then is, which side are you aligning your words with? Are we aligning our words with the fruits of the Spirit that is living in our hearts? Are we aligning our words with the remaining sin that we do battle with in our hearts every single day? Are we aligning them with sin or are we aligning them with Christ? Are we still walking in sin or are we walking out the new heart that we've been given with our words? So here's the point. Words are the fruit of the heart. Words of the fruit are the fruit of the heart. Later on in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 18, Jesus puts it a little bit differently, but same point. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person, right? The Pharisees in this passage were getting on him for all the things that the disciples weren't doing, like failing to religiously, ceremonially wash their hands and all the other things. And Jesus says, it's not what they eat. It's not what they do. That's not going to defile somebody. What's going to defile somebody is what comes out of their heart because that's where sin comes from. Sin comes from the heart. So out of the overflow of the heart come actions. And out of the abundance and the overflow of our heart bad news comes our words. 
Paul David Tripp writes in the book War of Wars, Words, Jesus uses a metaphor which we are all familiar with, a tree. There's an organic connection between the roots of the tree and the fruit it produces. This is the same with our words. They are the fruit of the root issues found in our hearts. Watch this. Word problems are always related to heart problems. And if that's not convicting enough, James, which the ladies are getting a good dose of conviction from James, but James chapter 3 verse 2 simply says this, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Point, nobody's perfect. Point, we all struggle with words. Every single one of us. No one is perfect, and if we need evidence, look at our words. What we say to our spouses, what we say to our kids, what we say to that driver with the New York plates on Route 515 who has trouble finding his accelerator pedal, whatever the case is. Nobody is perfect, and not just the words that come out of our mouths, right? Words that we think in our heads, what we think about others, what we grumble about them underneath our breath, Words that we've put on Facebook or words in the comment section. Words that we say to ourselves when we see other people. There are a million ways we sin with our words. Foul language, cursing, sexual innuendo, gossiping, critical speech, harsh words, angry words, slanderous words, divisive words, foolish words, disrespectful or dishonoring words. Dishonest words, disingenuous words, sarcastic words. Any words that reflect the fruit of sin and not the fruit of the Spirit. So why don't we pay more attention to the words that we use? Why do we tend to downplay it? We all sin with our words, and what do we do about it? And first, what we said, make sure you have the right heart. Make sure that you are a Christian who has a new heart. You can't try to speak good words if you don't have a good heart. Otherwise, you're just trying to put a Band-Aid over the situation. First, you need to submit your life to Jesus. That's what happens first. Augustine, my good friend, goes so far as to say this. It's a command. He says a person must first be changed in order for his works to be changed. Right? Every other religion, you guys realize this, every other religion on the planet flips that. Biblical Christianity is the only religion on the planet, that's true, but the only religion on the planet that says it, it's not what you do, it's not what you wear, it's not what you eat or don't eat, it's not where you go to pray, it's not how many times you do this or that or this, it is what Jesus has done. And therefore you do all those things that are prescribed in here because of who you are. Every other religion says, do these 13 things, and maybe, just maybe, the God that you think you're praying to will be happy with you and let you into wherever you think you might be going. That's false. Biblical Christianity is the only religion that says it's what Jesus did. You believe in what Jesus did, who he was, and then your identity is from that. How much more so in our words? Bad trees can't make good fruit. Bad hearts can't make good words. We can't expect non-believers to speak God-honoring speech. But after we become Christians, church, how do we do better with our words? 
and, and I'm going to drop some serious wisdom here. So hope you're warmed up because this, this is serious, profound, complex wisdom that's going to be dropped right here. Here's how, we can, here's how we can get better at this, okay? Shut our mouths. <laughs> if you want to take a moment to write that down. <laughs> Shut our mouths until we are sure what is going to come out of them is going to be God-glorifying. Think, then speak. It's not ready, fire, aim. Think, then speak. As a matter of fact, my good friend and now newly retired Pastor Andy used the very word think as an acronym. And it comes right out of another passage in Philippians chapter 4. Andy may have stolen it from someone else, but I'm giving Andy credit, and he'll just have to deal with that himself. Okay. Philippians 4, 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And so my good friend, Pastor Andy, used that as an acronym to say this, before you say anything, is it going to be true? Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be inspiring? Is it necessary? There's a, there's a good one. Do I even have to say this? Is it necessary or is it kind? Think about those things. Words of the, are the fruit of the heart, and so make sure we are speaking from the right tree. Make sure we're speaking from the tree that is grounded in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And how important is it? It is very important. If you haven't been convicted yet, now you're going to be convicted for sure. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. This is definitely another one of the top contestants in the scariest Bible verses in the Bible competition. Also, perhaps a top contender in the most often ignored Bible verses in the Bible competition, myself included. We love verses about the grace of God. We love verses about God's forgiveness and his love and all of that. But when we get to saying, I'm going to give an account for every careless word I've spoken, yet not so much. I don't like that verse. I'll focus on some other verses. But this one is breathed out by God like everything else in the Bible. And it's true, and it's convicting. And if that doesn't strike fear in your bowels, you are not tracking with me this morning. Listen to me closely, church. Christians don't get out of this. Christians don't get out of giving an account for every word they have spoken. We're not talking about judgment here, and we've got we to cut this clearly. Primary reason, he says, the text says that we will give an account for our words, just like we will give an account for our lives. Romans 14, 12 says that we will all give an account. We all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. What's the major difference in a Christian and a non-Christian, right? If you have rejected Jesus, if you have said this is nonsense, we went all, went all through that last week. If you've rejected the gospel, you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account for your sin. Christians will not be judged for our sin. Why? It's the table. Because Jesus has been judged for our sin. So through faith, the judgment that we deserve is on Christ. Right? That's the point. 
And so when we get to the accounting of our sin portion of the program and we're standing there before Jesus, we say it's him. He has covered my sin. I believe in him. He has propitiated God's wrath, your wrath. It's because of him. If you don't understand that, you need to talk to me. That's the first and foremost step. That's the biggest deal. John tells us elsewhere, if you stand before God, you have not believed in Jesus. The one he has sent, your sin will remain on you. You do not want to be in that position standing before a holy God. So for Christians, our sin has been taken care of, propitiated, expiated, all of the good theological words, forgiven. We have been justified through Jesus, so we will not give an account for our sin, but we will give an account for how we lived our lives. We will give an account for what we did with this new heart. We will give an account for what we did with our jobs and our school and our spouses and our families and our money and everything else that God says, now I've given you all this, use it for my glory. And our words are included in that. Our 15,000 words a day are included in that. What did the words that I gave you from the brain that I gave you, what did they do? We will give an account as stewards and this word here in the Greek is, is argon, which means it's actually a lack of work. Being unemployed, being idle, being lazy. I'm not crazy about ESV using the word careless. It's more of an empty, it's more of a useless kind of word. Right? We will give an account for every empty or every futile word or every word that didn't bring God glory necessarily, every word that was sinful. Um, all words work. That's the point. The question is, what are they working for? All words do something. The work of building up and glorifying God or the work of tearing down. And so I'll say it this way. Put your words to work for the kingdom. Put your words to work for the kingdom. How would our speech be changed if we thought that every word that came out of our mouths we are going to give an account for as to whether we use that word as a steward for the kingdom of God or did we tear down and contribute to sin or anything else that we've been talking about. We said last week that the one thing the gospel never does is nothing. The gospel is news. It's communicated in words and through those words you're either hardened towards God or you're softened towards God. The gospel is always doing something. A word never does nothing. Every word does something. Either our words will build up or our words will tear down. Likewise, our words are at work. It's either at work for the kingdom or it's at work against the kingdom. Ephesians 4.29 tells us this clearly in another. has lots to say in the Bible about our words, right? Ephesians 4.29 tells us, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it might give grace to those that hear. Did you catch that? Our words are not just for us. The words, people hear our words that aren't even involved in our conversation. What is it doing to them? People see our words that we put on Facebook. What is it doing to them? People read the words we put in email or whatever else. What are our words doing? Are they building up or are they tearing down? Jerry Bridges lists in his book called Respectable Sins. 
Good title. He writes, any speech that tends to tear down another person, either someone we're talking about or someone we're talking to, is sinful speech. What is the work that your words are doing? Are they building up or are they tearing down? And one of the ways that many people struggle is in the area of critical speech. It's kind of that kind of that fuzzy middle ground where we might know enough to not actually just speak evil words, right? We might actually know enough to not actually totally gossip. We got this kind of no man's land of critical speech where, where what we're saying is not exactly gossip. It's not exactly malicious, but it's definitely not helpful either. Words have tremendous power. I'm sure that many of us can think and wince about words that we have used, that we have thought, or words that have been used against us that inflict wounds that we wish we could take back. James, again, talks about the power of the word. And I know I'm flipping around a lot today, but there's so much to say about words we use. Look at James chapter 3, verse 3, starting. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on, the, on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What, what is James saying here? He's saying, as children of God, we're supposed to reflect the character of God. We only have one mouth. We can't use it both to glorify God and also to curse God our brothers and sisters. We can't use that same mouth to be gentle and kind one day and then the next day to tear someone down or speak sexual innuendo or cursing or gossip. Our words can be used to kill or to heal. They can be used to bring life or they can be used to bring death. They can use to be used to cut or to mend, to build up or to tear down. Either way, every word we use works in one of those ways. And again, how are our words working? We need to put our words to work for the kingdom. Words also work for us, either for our justification or our condemnation. And that's where Jesus ends, verse 37. Jesus continues, he says, For by your words, because, right, purpose clause, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus isn't talking about justification here like with a capital J, like in the sense of being declared innocent of sin by faith in Jesus Christ, but, but rather what is the effect of the words that we say? 
what effect do they have? Because you can't take words back. Once they leave our lips, they're gone forever. We see that time and time again in the social media world, right? We live in a cancel culture. Even secular, even people who don't claim to be believers in Jesus Christ at all are getting fired left and right. Why? Because of dumb things they've said. Sometimes years and years ago. They can't take those words back. Once we post something, once we send that text, once we send that email, once we speak, it's there forever. Once those words are used to another, with another person or about another person, they're out there. You can't take them back. And by those words, we will either be justified or we will be condemned. John ran out of the, the CSB and it says, for your words you'll be acquitted. Or rather, your words will be, by your words you will be condemned. Are we sensing once again there's kind of no middle ground here? Just like last week, Jesus said there's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground with me. You have to do something with me. Either you're for me or you're against me. Our words don't have middle ground either, church. Either they're working for the glory of God or they're working for the glory of sin. Remember, Jesus is tying this back to the previous passage. He's still talking about the Pharisees. Ultimately, the most important words that we use are, of course, in context here too, what we say about Jesus. Again, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what we feel about Jesus will come out in our words about Jesus. Do we believe Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? Do we, do we understand what he did for us? But just like there's no middle ground in our standing with Jesus, there's no middle ground in our standing with our words. They're either for our acquittal or they're for our condemnation. They either tear down or they build up. They are either for the glory of God or they're for sin. And while we can never truly know someone's hearts, right, the words they use give us a really good indication of what's going on in there, in people's hearts. You ever talk to somebody, they just fly off the handle, or they're crazy harsh for no reason at all, and you're tempted to just go back in and respond, guns blazes, right? But you ever just stop and ask, what was that about? And you find out there's so much more going on in their heart. It's such a good indication of what's going on in our hearts. Here's the big idea. Our choice of words shows the condition of our hearts. Our choice of words shows the condition of our hearts. It might not seem like it, but we actually do have a choice of what words come out of our mouths. And some of us claim to have that. <laughs> we don't have a brain-to-mouth filter, but there is a filter. And Jesus says, it's our hearts. That's the brain-to-mouth filter. What is going to come out of our mouths needs to be filtered through our hearts. And believe it or not, we all have a choice of what words to use. Choice of words that shows the condition of our hearts. And before we came to Christ, many of us had foul mouths, myself included. I shudder to think of some of the things that I used to say. But if you're an unbeliever today and you're with us, first of all, thank you. I love that you're coming. But if you're an unbeliever today, please, oh, please, oh, please, don't walk out of this sermon saying, I better clean up my language. That's not what we're talking about here. The first thing that has to happen, go back to the beginning of this passage. You can't grow good fruit from a bad tree. First thing you need to do is submit to Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you need to do. Church, for us, Christians, remember, we are known by our fruit, and the words are the fruit of our hearts. Words don't come from thin air. They're attached to our hearts. And so if you're in here today and you are a Christian, which most of you are, I don't want you to walk away from this saying either, 
man, I need to clean up my language. It's, man, I need to align my heart more to be like Jesus Christ. Because that's where the words come from. Oh, and by the way, you also need to clean up your language. <laughs> right? But don't get those two things confused. I need to match more of what my heart actually is with what's coming out of my mouth. And if your heart needs a realignment, that's what this is for. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. That's what this is for. That's what the church is for. That's what small groups are for. That's what friendships are for, to continually realign us. And church, we don't clean up our language as our religious activity, but it's our identity. I always get a kick out of it. It's a common thing. Once people find out we're Christians, and then they drop a curse word in front of us, and then they go, oh, I'm sorry. Right? Try being a pastor with that, okay? That happens like once every five minutes, right? People go, oh, I'm sorry. Like they're going to get struck by a lightning bolt or something like that. We're not looking to clean up our language as religious activity. We're looking to clean up our language as our identity. And the choice of words that we use reflects the condition of our hearts. We are children of God, and if we're children of God, we better reflect that with everything that we are, including our words, and always bring it back to the heart. And so, church, choose your words carefully, because we will give an account for every one of those 15,000 words a day that we speak. Do we use them for God's glory to build up or do we use them to tear down? Our choice of words shows the condition of our hearts. I am so convicted right now, it's not even funny. I can tell you all are as well. Let's go to the God who gives grace and strength and hope and renewal. Father, there is not one of us in here that it cannot say we don't sin with our words, with the words we use, with the words we think, with the words we type. Heavenly Father, please forgive us. May each one of us do business with you today about the state of our words. May we go to the cross to remember what you have done to free us from sin. And thankfully, when we stand before you, we will not be judged for that sin because all of the judgment fell on Jesus Christ. But Lord, what did we do with what you gave us? What did we do with the words that you've given us? We pray, Lord, that they would reflect the glory of you and not sin. We pray for our hearts. We pray that you would fill them to overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that what comes out of them, the fruit that grows on our branches, would be reflective of the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruits of sin. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.